1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which through though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the God of your faith, the salvation, sorry, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. And thank you for reading, Laura. We are going to be in 1 Peter, and we are going to eventually go through 1 and 2 Peter. We may have a break in between the two. But today we're looking at the topic of salvation. And our big idea is this, Jesus saves. <laughs> Good, what better way to begin the new year, right? Jesus saves. And as we were looking at going to, to the new year, I was thinking that, you know, hey, uh, last year was better than some years recently. Uh, we didn't have a hurricane. We didn't have a global pandemic. Uh, you know, we, uh, but hey, there was hurt and sorrow and in between even our own congregation. We have people who are now with Jesus, and we have people who are suffering, and we have had people who had financial strain and, and other things. And, and I thought, what better way than for us to look at First and Second Peter? To be honest, I've never preached. I've read First and Second Peter, done Bible studies in First and Second Peter, have never preached out of First and Second Peter. And I thought, what better way than to go to the one whose name means rock and uh, talks about the rock in which we build on Jesus as the cornerstone. What better way for us to begin this new year? Because I hate to break it to you. There will be pain. There will be sorrow. There will be suffering in the new year. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, we have an election this year, so things are going to get interesting. And so we always have opportunities to go back to our roots as a church family. And what better way than to talk about Jesus? If you're with us today and you're new, my name is Dean. Uh, I'm the pastor here. At Family Church, we're so grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. We hope that you come back. 
Uh, we have a special gift for you on the way out. Uh, my wife will probably find you, and we would love to get you connected. Actually, I'm going to make some more announcements at the very end today, but we're going to start back with most of our Bible studies and things next week, not midweek, but beginning next Sunday, and uh, we'll share more about that at the end and the vision for that. The vision for that is really rooted in even the scripture that we're reading today, but uh, we are going to look at how Peter rejoices in the salvation that is brought by Jesus Christ to you and to me. So let's look at our first point. Our first point is in verses one through five. I'm going to read those again, and uh, we're going to kind of go through it line by line, and we're going to unpack this big idea that salvation, Jesus saves, and what does that do for us? Salvation is power. Salvation is power. And I pray today, if you feel powerless, you would know that through Jesus, you have power to, to live. And by his Holy Spirit indwelling you, you have power to live no matter what life may bring. So let's read. I'm not going to get through the first, uh, the first uh, word before we pause. It says, Peter. Now, Peter is Simon. You Maybe sometimes you see Simon Peter. Simon was his Hebrew name. Uh, Peter is the name given to him by Jesus, which in Aramaic actually means Cephas. Maybe you see Cephas sometimes in the New Testament. That word means rock. If you don't remember, Peter had an interaction with Jesus where that Jesus said, well, who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And he basically says, Peter, you're right. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, some question whether that rock was Cephas, Peter, whom he was talking about, or it was the confession that Peter made that he was the Christ. I would say both because it was not only the confession, but it was the man that God was going to use to write the letter that we have here today. And Peter doesn't just give any greeting. He starts out, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, he was called by Jesus. If you remember, Peter was fishing with his brother Andrew, and, he, and he, Jesus calls them, and he says, come, and I'll make you a fisher of men. It says they left everything, and they followed Jesus. Now, why, does it, why is the fact that he's an apostle important? It's because the very book that you have in your hand has authority. It has authority. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit from someone who actually spent time with Jesus, laid eyes on Jesus, and left everything from Jesus. Maybe you watch some History Channel documentaries or, or movies or this and that, and you see lost gospels and things like that that didn't make it into the Bible. I'll tell you, they didn't make it in the Bible because they were never inspired scripture. You can have confidence. This is one of the things that we're going to start talking about midweek. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll make kind of an announcement here. We're going to do it at the very end today. We're shifting from having Bible study at my house on Wednesday nights to we're going to do something here midweek, and we're going to call it FC Equip. Um, and I want to take serious when Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11 and verse 12, that God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, what's some of this equipping that we're going to do? We're going to talk about the Trinity. We're going to talk about theology. We're going to talk about how to share your faith. We're going to talk about like things that maybe you are uncertain about, like I have some conversations recently with why, or why are there some books 
in our Bible that aren't in a, a, a Catholic Bible and things like that. We're going to look through at all of these things together. And I can tell you, you can have confidence. I, I'll just throw it out there. The books that are in the Catholic Bible aren't evil. Uh, they're just not, they're just not inspired scripture. We're going to get to that later on. That's why they're called the Apocrypha. And so we want you to be a part of the church because we want you to see why God's word that you have in your hands has authority. It's living and it's active. And that's because Peter right here is in a messenger. Apostle literally means messenger of Jesus Christ. He was called by Jesus, despite the fact that he was impulsive, selfish, and short-tempered. Can any of y'all relate to Peter? I can relate to Peter. I'm a bonehead, just like Peter. But Peter was also a natural leader and a spokesman. And so by him being called an apostle, rather than being called by his own ability, it means that this scripture that we have is authoritative, authentic, it's consistent, it's universal, and it's of spiritual value for you and for me. And this book is written, that it says, to the chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad, and then there's those words there that you just got to make up the pronunciation for, which Laura did an incredible job of, right? Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, um, chosen uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So here's the deal. In the Old Testament, when, when it was written that people were, they were chosen by God, it was referring primarily to the nation of Israel, to God's chosen people. And in fact, he says to the chosen living as exiles, dispersed. That word dispersed, actually in the Greek New Testament, maybe you've heard the word diaspora before. It means scattered. And, and so what we see is at this time in history, Jews were, because of persecution and other means, scattered all over the world. But Peter takes the meaning of chosen and dispersion or diaspora, and he now points it towards his audience, which he's writing to in northern, modern-day Turkey, northern Asia Minor. He's writing to this audience, and he's encouraging them. Who, they're primarily Gentiles, and he's saying, y'all are now part of the chosen, and you're dispersed, and your dispersion is not to be used in vain. Your dispersion is a part of God's plan. I love what David Walls says in the Home and Commentary. He says, wherever you live geographically, in Christ, you are part of God's elect if you're in Jesus. He chose you, knows everything about his, what his chosen people face, and he works it all out. Like Romans 8.28 says, he works everything out to the good of those who love him and are called according to, your, to his purpose. You are not by accident in the place in which God has placed you right now. Even if you're not going to be here forever, we're still praying against the Albert family uh, moving away this year because we hate Georgia. They take everybody. Um, but we play the Falcons today. Y'all need to keep that in prayer, you know. Uh, not going to make the playoffs probably, but hey, we at least need to beat the Falcons. And because uh, the Old Testament, I mean, it says Falcons are cursed. It's in there. Find it. It's in Leviticus. And so um, Peter's writing to the saints, you know, um, which is uh, God's chosen people. Remember that, Nick, when you move back to Georgia. Uh, so um, no matter where, I'm sorry, no matter where God has put you, whether it be in Georgia, Louisiana, uh, the West Bank, Laura and I drove around the West Bank uh, last week. We New Orleanians like to make a lot of jokes about the West Bank. No matter where God has placed you, 
you are there on purpose. If you live in Kennebraw, God has you in Kenner for a reason, right? And he has a purpose and a plan. And that purpose and plan is that you would remain faithful no matter what life may bring. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God, okay, here we go, cuss word, we're going to talk about predestination. Um, you know, uh, if you haven't figured out, uh, come and let me know afterwards, you know, because uh, figuring out predestination and being chosen and all that uh, is above my pay grade. It's about trusting in God who works out all things together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. Here's the best answer that I have. So God chooses us. He has foreknowledge of those who are going to follow him. Uh, he chooses us. And how do we know who are, who are chosen by God and who are elected by God? Well, if you're saved and you're here, congratulations, you've been chosen, you know? God doesn't choose people for, he for hell. We chose that path ourselves. But God, by his grace, has chosen to save us. I don't understand how it works. I just know that I serve a big God that I don't have to figure out. I can have some mystery. Y'all know mystery is an awesome thing. And I can, I can stare into the mystery and I can worship the mystery. Because honestly, if I could figure out God and everything, then I'm not going to worship him. You know, I don't worship Elijah, you know, Anna's newlywed. She's figured out pretty quickly. Elijah has flaws, right? You know, amen. You know, like I don't do that, you know, like, but, but hey, I worship God because God is perfect. He has no flaws. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is here. It says that according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we've been chosen to be obedient and sprinkled in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, here we go. Some people say the Trinity is not in the Bible. Go right. It's all throughout the Bible, but go straight here to the beginning of 1 Peter. What do we see? The Father chooses, the Spirit sanctifies, and Jesus Christ redeems. The Trinity is right there, not three separate gods. God in three persons. We serve one God. And yet again, Trinity, me and Braden were talking about the Trinity a couple weeks ago. Like, I'm a pastor. I have a seminary degree, and I don't get it. I don't have to get God. Because if I got God, I might be calling myself God myself. And some of us, we act as if we're God, but we mess up things pretty quickly. That's why we serve and honor the one who is perfect. The Spirit sets us apart. Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 says, You didn't receive a, a, a spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. Later on, Paul writes the same chapter. He writes that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes and prays for us with groanings too deep for words. You know what groanings too deep for words means? It means we don't get it. It means that he knows everything that's inside of us, even when we don't. And that's why Jude, Jude, which was also Jesus' bro little brother, Jude writes in his book, Jude chapter 1, well, there's only one chapter, so verse 20 and 21, but you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and keep yourselves in the love of God, 
waiting expectantly for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Peter closes out here his greeting. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace is a distinctly Christian greeting. Grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are united under God's grace that we've experienced through the blood of Jesus. Peace is very much a Jewish term. Peace means the shalom. It means the, 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 that you are now right in the world, that everything is, is peaceful. The peace on earth that we prayed for at Christmas that came in the form of baby Jesus. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. Let's just stop right there. We preached a whole sermon, right? <laughs> so we're going to keep going. It says in verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Peter picks up the, yeah, Jesus talked with Nicodemus about new birth, that you have to be born again in John chapter 3. Peter uses the same language. He's given us new birth into what? A living hope. You would think maybe that I, I sleep with the person who picks the songs that we worship on Sunday because we, we sang that, right? God, you're our, y'all are, I'm married to the person who, uh, who we, uh, Maybe I could have picked a better analogy, but hey, here's the deal. Laura, I love the song selections that we sung because we, we sung about Christ, our firm foundation. We sung about the living hope that we have in Jesus. And, and that's what I love about this hope that's built upon the rock of the truth of who Jesus is. This hope is not just hope that we can be reminded of. This hope is living. It's living. It means that because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, every fear is gone. It doesn't mean that the fears aren't there. It means that the fears in light of Jesus's face, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth, they grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. It's a living hope that we have. And this living hope comes because of the resurrection. It says, our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And you are being guarded right now by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's encouragement to people who are suffering. That's how we put our faith in the practice this year is when we suffer, it doesn't mean that we don't lament. It doesn't mean that we don't bring our cares to God. It means that we endure because he has endured. And it means that we live with the promise of a salvation. When Jesus saves us, he saves us in the present spiritually, but we are, as, as time goes along, we will be saved at the end time Physically, I hate to break it to you. If you don't like where you live, more than likely, if you're following Jesus, this is where you're going to be for all of eternity. Because we already know that Miss Faye and the Cajuns are—they're catering the the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? It's 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 not in our Bible. Maybe it's in one of the others, but you know, like it's it's definitely true. And here's here's the reason why. Revelation chapter two, verse one says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
and the sea was no more. And then in verse 2 of Revelation 21, it says, And I saw the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. They say that the, the most beautiful you ever will see a, a woman in her life is on her marriage day. Uh, don't say that husband because then your wife will hit you today, right? Uh, Laura's more beautiful today than she was back then. But here's the deal. Most of us, we, we just, we're in awe when a bride comes down and walks down the aisle. This is how God has prepared our eternal dwelling place. The new Jerusalem it descends from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Yes, uh, land is important. Yes, uh, but in the Old Testament, they were really concerned about a land, a holy land. Here's what we're concerned about in the New Testament. We're concerned about the Holy Spirit that lives within us that makes whatever land that we're in holy by our actions of redeeming it for all of creation and for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean I'm not getting into political stuff. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't defend Israel. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray and all that. But here's the truth of the matter. These physical things that we have in this world, they won't last. Israel, like nowadays, there's hope to build a third temple. Well, I hate to break it to you, the third temple at the end of days will crumble and fall. It's just buildings. New Orleans won't last forever. We know that. We live through Katrina, you know? New Orleans won't last forever. But what does last forever is the spiritual dwelling that God has called us to. And that new dwelling descends from heaven and that it descends to earth. And so maybe you thought you were going to live and I'll fly away, oh glory, you know, get, get me the heck out of this place and I'm going to rain on clouds. I hate to break it to you. Eventually, all will be made new. And you and I will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth. And our primary residence will be the new Jerusalem. That means that when we look around at what we have now, all things that are broken will be made new. It means that we are doing God's work of restoring his kingdom when we tell one person about the hope that we have in Jesus. It means that when we feed that person who is in need, it means that when we, when we give sacrificially to God's mission, when we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, it all has meaning because though we may suffer and we may fall, his promises never will. And the promise is that we are being guarded by his very spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit has sealed us until the day of redemption. You go to Ephesians chapter 1. It says we received at the confession of our sins, we received the promised Holy Spirit and he's taken hold of us. And here's the good news. He will never let you go. No good father abandons their children. Fathers sometimes let their children to their own devices and let them stumble and fall and, and learn. But God's not a helicopter parent. God is a parent who loves us despite us. What matters is, are you his? Are you his? Have you called him father? Have you made him king and Lord of your life? Let's look at verses six through nine. Salvation is power, but salvation is promise. In verses six through nine, we see, you rejoice that even though now you might suffer for a short time, if necessary, you should suffer grief and various trials 
so that the proven character of your faith may be more valuable than gold, through, though perishable, is now refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It means that I love, this is what I love about Peter's writings. Peter wasn't like a modern day uh, word of faith televangelist person that you see on TV. Peter told the absolute truth. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The people you watch on TV that say life is going to be good and all that, you know, you give to the Lord. That disease is going to get healed. Peter said, you may suffer and die, but Jesus is still there. And he's still God. Y'all know what was happening during the time of Peter writing this letter? Peter's likely in Rome, likely in Rome, writing to the church in Asia Minor in modern day Turkey. And if you know anything about Turkey today, Turkey's not very Christian. It means that even back then, spiritual persecution was happening, and spiritual persecution is still happening today to the church in modern-day Turkey. What happened during that time is Nero was, was reigning, and Nero did this. He wrapped Christians in freshly slaughtered animal skin. It means they went deer hunting. He took, took the deer and wrapped Christians in freshly slaughtered animal skins, and he fed them to dogs and wild animals. He also dipped them in tar, put them on poles, set them on fire to light his gardens at nighttime. These are the people being persecuted that Peter is writing to. And while these Christians in Turkey weren't living in Rome, Asia Minor was the center of what's called emperor worship. It's where Nero was regarded as a god and not just another mortal man. If you read Pliny the Younger's letter to Trajan, which is an early document, not in the Bible, he writes to one as a Roman officer, he writes to one of to his emperor, and he talks about this, this disease. And the disease that he refers, the contagion that he refers to, are Christians. And there's Christians, he talks about just, uh, he talks about some of them denying the faith and turning back to worship uh, towards Trajan. He also talks about some who refused to do that, and their refusal to do that resulted in them gathering on the first day and crying out in prayer <clears throat> and singing praise to God. That's kind of what we do today. I hate to break it to you. Sunday, we don't think of Sunday as the first day of the week, but on our calendar, Sunday is the first day of the week. And that's why we set it apart. That's why we gather on Sundays. We get, and not to say it's bad to gather on Saturdays or any other night of the week, but on Sundays, we give the first fruits, the best of our week to Jesus on Resurrection Day. This salvation that we have is promised. And though it may melt, like gold is melted when it's cast into, uh, into its, uh, its, its iron, um, what do you call it? The, the castings, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but when gold is being morphed and formed and refined, it's burnt really hot, really hot. Hotter than Louisiana in August, right? It's, it's hot. And what the heat does is it makes the impurities rise to the surface. And the one that's smelting takes the impurities and wipes them away. And they know that the gold is ready to be cast when it is boiled to the, the, to the point where it is now luminescent and it's mirror-like and it's 
imaging the person who is shaping it. Isn't it crazy how God, like in creation, like it almost reminds you that of Romans chapter one of like the image of the invisible God that like even though people have not known him, they've seen him. They've seen him because God in creation has shown us how incredible and how awesome he is. Warren Wearsby said that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And this faith doesn't require us to see. Faith is believing without seeing, right? You know, what, what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I love what Billy Graham once said when he was alive. He said, have I seen the wind? No, I haven't seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. There's a mystery to it. That's how God works through faith in you and me. And lastly here, so salvation is promise. Salvation is power. Lastly, here in these last three verses, we see salvation is proclaimed. Verses 10 through 12, and then we're going to wrap. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, let's talk about the Old Testament, who prophesied about the grace that was to come and searched carefully and investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the suffering of Christ and the glories that which followed. We looked at some of this uh, during our Advent season when we looked at the past promises of of God that came true in the incarnation or the birth of Jesus, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things that they have announced to you, to those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, have been sent from heaven. Angels even long to catch a glimpse of these things. Salvation is not kept, for, it's kept by the Spirit, but we don't keep it ourselves. Salvation is something that we proclaim and we give away. We tell everybody that, hey, the hell that I'm living in is gone. Heaven is here. Heaven is, is now living in me, the Holy Spirit. And you know, when I breathe that last breath, my, my, my future is not darkness and hell. My future is light and eternity with the Father. And so we see that, that the, the, the audience here is comforted, and they're comforted by the continuity of God's work. He talks about the Spirit of Christ, talking about the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that proclaimed Christ, the same Spirit that now prays for us. And, and it says in, in Romans that he who knows minds, right, searches the mind of the Spirit and intercedes before the Father for us, the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are all working right now for, for their glory and our good. And the Spirit is, empowers us. I love when Jesus tells them that I'm going to leave. And it's, it's to your advantage. He tells them in the Gospel of John, his followers, he says, it's to your advantage that I go. Because when I go, the comforter, the advocate is coming. Read a book by Francis Chan one time where he said, why would we need a comforter if we're comfortable? Why would we need an advocate if we can advocate? We need the Spirit because it's God's way of empowering and showing us 
how we're not and he is. And because he lives, we can now face tomorrow. And here's the deal. You now in Jesus have experienced something that all these prophets, Malachi, you know, Habakkuk, all these, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they all long to see the salvation that we now have experienced in the Holy Spirit's presence living in our lives right now. Angels even inquired. Angels wanted to know. Angels don't experience the same salvation that we do. God has created us in his image. Man and woman, he's created them. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1. He created us in his image so that we could have relationship with him. But what happened is that relationship was broken. God said, you can have everything but one thing. Everything but one thing. But what do we want? We want that one. Y'all know, have you raised kids? You can do everything, but don't touch that on the stove, right? The hand goes straight for the stove, right? You can have everything but one thing. Our sin makes us want to see that we are God. But what did God do for us? Even in their sin, God comes to Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? He calls for Adam. Holds Adam and Eve accountable. But he gives them a promise. In chapter 3 of Genesis, I wanna, I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to close with this. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to close with this promise that he gives. It's, it's about what we're reading about today. It says in verse 14 of chapter 3, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this since he's deceived, you are more cursed than any livestock or any wild animal. You will move on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Serpents are not blessed. How many of us have killed them? Like, yeah, we, you like to chop their heads off. Every time I see a garden snake, I get the shovel trying to find it, right? You want to kill it, you know? Serpents are not blessed. But what is verse 15? And this is what we're going to close with today. What does verse 15 say? God tells the enemy, Satan, I will put hostility between you and the woman. How many women like snakes? Not many. I know there's some crazy ones out there, right? But Laura was in fear when Braden was wanting to get a snake. You know, like those women don't like them, right? I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And this is what the offspring of the woman, Jesus, through Mary, what he'll do. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Yes, because of the weight of our sin, Jesus endured the suffering on the cross that only he could. Yes, his heel was striked by the enemy, Satan. But what, he, what did Jesus do? On that third day, he crushed the enemy's head. Death was defeated. Death was no more. That's the salvation we currently live in. And that's the salvation that we long for. And here's what I want to encourage you in the new year. 
Who needs to hear that message? Maybe you're here today. You need to respond to that message. We're going to give you a moment here as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table and communion. We want to give you time to come and follow Jesus, to, to repent of your sins. But here's the lesson for us who have followed Jesus. There are people all out there that need to know the enemy's head. Yes, we may have been bit by the serpent, but through Jesus, the head is completely crushed. That's the salvation we experience even in our suffering. And that's what 1 Peter and 2 Peter will encourage us about in the coming weeks. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being our God and King. Lord, I pray today as we sing the song of response, I pray that your spirit would be in this place, would move in our hearts. Lord, stir us to action. Help us to think about who needs this good news. Good news is good because it's got to go to someplace bad. Who needs this good news where we live, where we work, where we eat, where we play? God, if there's someone in here listening today that needs to follow you, help them to not wait another moment. Help them to surrender to you right now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.